0: I don't have children, but when I do have children, I'm just going to pick up the telephone and I'm going to go, Hey, Brad Crawford. How do I be a great dad? He's one of the busiest men that I know right now. But the fact he gave us a few minutes, Brad, I'm not even gonna ask you how you're doing because I know you're doing great because you have a huge smile on your face. Um, you, I think this is a great place to start because I was reading. I'm always doing my perusing. Yeah. It's okay for Nick Saban to do it, but it's not okay for Mark Stoops to do it. Brad, where are we in today's day of NIL? Mark Stoops clearly still smarting after a big loss in Athens against George over the
1: weekend. When, when NIL became a thing a few summers ago, Nick Saban was one of the first ones to brag about Bryce Young's million-dollar deal at Media Days. And then the following year when Jimbo Fisher called up to him in recruiting, it was, hey, our Bama base isn't paying enough for these guys. So now Mark Stoops says something similar after he gets the brakes beat off of him between the hedges. And now everybody's hating on Mark Stoops. So the the double standard is real within the SEC. I certainly feel where Mark Stoops is coming from. But, hey, he did take a portal quarterback who, you know, halfway through the year he seems to have missed out on.
0: You know, I look at the whole as – look, it's funny that NIL gets brought up in this conversation because it leads me perfectly into this weekend between Tennessee and Texas A&M. Yeah. These teams, to me, look identical, hence the reason why the spread's only three points for a home-favorite sure. Tennessee team. First, for the Volunteers. Overall thoughts after SEC showdowns against Carolina and Florida, but some duds against some not-really-strong non-conference teams.
1: Yeah, I think if Tennessee had played better, Tyler, in, in the first half of that game in the Swamp, you know, we're, we're looking at probably a top-15 team with still has some issues, you know, still, still has some flies in the ointment, but it would be a team that's capable of still winning the East. I'm I'm not so sure at, at, at mid-season here if Tennessee's that team. A brutal schedule left to play. I think ESPN's FPI had Tennessee with the third toughest schedule remaining in all the Power Five. And that that begins Saturday against an A&M team with its back against the wall. And not only the team, but Jimbo Fisher. I mean, last week against Bama was probably the biggest home game of his tenure. He lost it. And if he loses the second straight game now at Neyland Stadium Saturday, then he is going to be a handsomely rich man at the end of the year because A&M is going to pay that buyout so very big game at Neyland Stadium Saturday afternoon
0: how do you think things have played out for Jimbo and the Bobby Petrino relationship I already made reference to SEC media days he didn't want to talk about Bobby Petrino as his OC you could argue he might have been the best fit thus far Brad with all of these takeovers of the OC position in the SEC yeah. It's the defense that's been suspect thus far. That offense didn't cost them however many points in that Miami loss a few weeks ago.
1: That's right. Quarterback production has been really good this season, really better than what Jimbo Fisher has seen during his tenure. Yeah. And then, like you said, that loss at Miami that they gave up, you know, almost 50 points to a Hurricanes team that just got beat up by a bad Georgia Tech team. So it's, it's that front seven defensively. Secondary hadn't played all that well either. And, you know, that's that's kind of the sign of a – middling, inconsistent program when one side of the ball plays well and the other does not. Jimbo Fisher just so far has not been able to put it all together.
0: Brad Crawford, what's your take on Tennessee? I could set you up for something specifically. I'm not going to do that. It's a buffet. Tennessee, your thoughts?
1: Tennessee, very good team at home. You know, they they play well against South Carolina. And, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody played that up as a revenge game. But once I saw that, you know, 745 local kick – that was going to be a loss for the Gamecocks. Tennessee plays inspired at, at Needland Stadium. I think they'll play that way Saturday too. But so far, I've I've been surprised that Josh Heupel has been able to sort of reconfigure this offense to more of a run-heavy look because he's not all that confident in Joe Milton as a downfield thrower so far. And I think a lot of us media types, Tyler, I don't I don't know if if you were included in this, but we we may have overlooked the loss of you know those two studs they had last season, Balitnikov winner Jalen Hyatt and and Cedric Tillman. We we overlooked that and just assumed within this scheme that you know a hodgepodge assortment of guys could replace those numbers, and so far they have not. And then you lose Bruce McCoy for the year. So uh, Tennessee has some questions right now in the passing game. I'm still a believer in Joe Milton, but we have now a half-a-year sample size, and, and he's not the B-plus to A-minus quarterback we thought he'd be.
0: Brad Crawford's still a believer in Joe Milton, as am I. But for you to continue to be a believer, does it take wins? Or does it just take, maybe in losses, productions heading north, more positivity? A&M, Alabama, and a tough matchup at the end of the month. They have to go to I-75 North and take on Kentucky, who I don't think they're really too happy about laying that butt whooping this past weekend.
1: Yeah, I think this weekend's game against the Aggies is a turning point in Tennessee's season. Tennessee loses this weekend. I think you could see a 8 and 4 type 7 and 5 finish mm-hmm. because of that back end of that schedule. If they beat Texas a and I still think this is a team that can challenge for 9, possibly 10 wins. So very very big game Saturday in Joe Milton's development and this team as a, you know, contender in the SEC East.
0: Eight and four, season seven and five. Brad, I think you're the perfect person to answer this question because I know the Tennessee fans want to call up our show on the flagship daily and be like, but, 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 if Tennessee in fact does start slipping and we see eight and four, seven and five, some mixture of that. Sure. Do you show Nico Iamaliava what a college football field looks like against an SEC opponent before the season's over?
1: I don't see the issue in that at all because they're obviously trying to. I guess, keep his red shirt, because how, how many games has Nico played in so far?
0: Let's be honest, realistically two, but they've okay. already said red shirt is not in his future. He's got his two okay. years he's getting out.
1: Okay, well, yeah, so then then, then he's going to play during the second half of this slate. And, I mean, we, we may see Josh Heupel pull the plug on Milton if he has a bad first half this weekend and Tennessee's down at halftime. So it's very important for Joe Milton, these first few possessions – this weekend's game to to play well and just just show more consistency, man. You know he's he's missed a lot of balls over the middle. He's overthrown some screen passes, and then he'll air one out 55 yards, and the guy drops it. So Tennessee's offense just hasn't clicked the way that we've seen it click the, this last year and a half or so.
0: Speaking of offense that's clicking, uh, Georgia. We keep that's we've already brought them up twice about yeah. how well they looked against Kentucky. Is this now the Georgia team that now has a lot of SEC fans going, okay, maybe it's a step back year for this conference. Does Georgia now start looking like a team that can flirt with a three-time national championship run?
1: I think so. Because at at halftime a few weeks ago against South Carolina, I was legit worried about Georgia even being a top-five team, much less the number one team in the country. Then they turn it on in the second half. They beat a decent Auburn team on the road. I don't care what the records are. On the road in the SEC is difficult, especially at Jordan Hare. And then they just humiliated a decent, not, not great Kentucky team. Kentucky's first five weeks were abysmally easy this season, and that that shows Saturday night. But Carson Beck played really well, man, almost 400 yards passing, four touchdowns. We know how good Brock Bowers is. So, yeah, the SEC championship certainly still goes between the hedges. And right now, that's the only legitimate playoff contender in the SEC that I've seen, you know, this first half of the year.
0: It's almost as if, Brad, you knew where I was going to set you up for this question because that response. Bama's not a low.
1: contender, no.
0: <laughs> no okay, well, so, so answer this, though. And I, you're going to think this guy's taking crazy pills, but stay sure. with me. This weekend, the Pac-12, my God, what a slate. Oregon, Washington, you get a showdown where USC has to go to Notre Dame. I know that Oregon State is going to be put on display. Yes or no, Brad Crawford, is there a circumstance where this year after cannibalization happens, all the other Florida States, the Michigans of the world, Oklahoma's, is there a scenario at the end of the year where Georgia loses in the SEC championship game, one loss, and they somehow don't make the college football playoff? Or am I crazy pills right now?
1: I think if Georgia Tyler goes into that game 12-0, number one, and they lose a close game to Bama or whoever wins the West, right. I think Georgia still gets in. However, the, the resume is not going to look all that great. They exactly they need, they need Ole Miss to keep winning. They they play Ole Miss and Athens in Athens in November. They need Tennessee not to finish seven and five. So Georgia's gonna need help. But if they're number one going to Atlanta, lose a close game, they're still gonna be in. But if they're three or four unbeaten, mm-hmm and there's two or three elite teams ahead of Georgia, no, no, you you can't lose at Mercedes-Benz.
0: What a year it would be to see Oklahoma and Georgia have faced off against each other. I understand it, Greg Sankey. I get it. You got to do things to make sure the schedule looks good. I'm just thinking in my head, undefeated Oklahoma, Florida State, Michigan, maybe a USC or Oregon-Washington. I I would
1: love to see a 12-team playoff this year. Yeah. Yeah, That would be so fun this season.
0: Uh, you we uh the the I you know Jerry Palm over at CBS, my guy for so long, he does a fantastic job of what could have been for a 12-game schedule this year. Yep. And balls fans at one point in time of the season going Tennessee having to go to Columbus and the horseshoe to take on a 12. That's the type of what we're looking for this yep. year. A few more minutes with Brad Crawford, again, busy guy with her over at 24-7 Sports. Brad, let me just ask you right now, when you look overall at the status of the SEC, am I being Am I giving the conference too much credit to say that right now they're the third-best Power Five conference in all of college football? Because the Big Ten and Pac-12 right now, in my opinion, playing on a different level.
1: Yeah, I think Pac-12 is number one, in my opinion. And then Big Ten's two, SEC's three. That's certainly a fair assessment. Like you said, there's going to be some cannibalization out west because there's four or five unbeaten still in that league that you know, two weeks from now they all may have a loss. Uh, USC might be the fourth-best team. In the pac twelve and, and and they got the best player in college football. So it shows you the strength of that league. Mm-hmm. And the SEC right now has like I said, one legitimate elite. Big Ten has three, possibly four in Wisconsin. Jury jury's still out on the Badgers, but yeah, Big Ten has a chance that to to put two two teams in the playoff. I think Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan have a chance to all, you know, play each other and then everybody finishes eleven and one. The mass tiebreaker for that. So it's going to be a very interesting, you know, final six or seven weeks of the regular season. And yeah, I can see a scenario in which if Georgia has one loss and is not SEC champion, they're out, man.
0: All right. So you know what? We're going to do an impromptu exercise with Brad Crawford. If there's anybody who can do this, it's you. I'm going to give you a team. I want you to tell me like an online dating profile if they are compatible for what you believe they could be this year. Florida State.
1: Florida State's a team that is has an elite roster, but is not free of holes. Uh, barely beat Boston College, struggled a little bit for a half against Virginia Tech, and we've seen elite teams, Tyler, blow out that kind of competition. Yeah. So week, week-to-week basis, Florida State gets up for the good teams and then kind of snoozes through the teams they should obliterate. So Florida State is one of two teams I think that Finch is unbeaten, though. A- ACC is very good right now, too, by the way, but the, the Noles are going to get to the playoff without a loss. Ohio State. I'm not yet a believer in Kyle McCord as a difference maker against number one Penn State in a couple of weeks. They go to Wisconsin in a couple of weeks, and mm. then they got to play Michigan. So there's, there's still three ranked teams Ohio State has to play. I don't see Ohio State right now as a playoff team. Michael Penix in Washington. Show me what you can do against an elite opponent, and then I will be a believer. Because the first five weeks of the season, if you believe in that game score thing that that ESPN draws up every year about, you know, how well you beat your opponents play by play. then Mm -hmm. Michael, Washington have been just phenomenal. But we're going to see Saturday against unbeaten Oregon, if they can block the Ducks, if those two stud wide receivers who might be early round picks can get behind the Oregon secondary. That's going to be a uh, playoff type preview game for me. You just said USC
0: might be the fourth best team in the conference, and I think we could rearrange the rankings week by week. In your opinion right now, October 10, who is the best team in the Pac-12?
1: I think it's Washington. They're going to beat Oregon. They're going to finish with one loss, and we're going to see a scenario where we have two 11-1 teams playing in the Pac-12 championship game, and that's going to be the de facto you know, quarterfinal. Loser of that out of the playoff. Winner at 12-1 and with four or five wins against ranked teams. They're going to be in that final four. Is Michigan
0: the biggest threat to Georgia's three, Pete?
1: Hmm, that's probably the best question yet. You know, I think Florida State is. We saw Florida State in the opener against a very good roster in LSU just decimate that team. Now, we know four weeks later that LSU secondary is, as as Deion Sanders would say, hot garbage. But – in that season opening game, man, Keon Coleman looked like the best player in college football with, with three touchdowns. I think Florida State has enough talent on offense to, to give Georgia issues. So, yeah, I think Florida State's the biggest threat because Michigan, they're going to go ten weeks into the season without playing a ranked team. So we don't, we don't know how good Michigan is yet. You know, Brad, I want to
0: end on this because I was having a conversation with Coach Rick Barnes. It was basketball media days here in Knoxville a few days ago. <laughs> we were doing some SBCs. We were talking about delicious queso and guacamole and salsa. And he goes, Tyler, if I could, I'd take you over to the Carolinas and I'd show you where you could have a cheeseburger, a hot dog, and they put coleslaw on it. And I stopped and I went, you're fibbing to me. You're As my grandmother would say, you're joshing me. That is that true? Brad, you're a Carolinas guy. Are you yeah. telling me that that's a delicacy over there?
1: So, so I am from South Carolina, but I live in North Carolina most of my life. Right. I'll, I'll give you the, the barbecue here in North Carolina is vinegar based. It's great, yeah. but there's something called barbecue hash down in South Carolina. It's a, what's left of the pig. You put it over rice and it's served hot. Dude, you have to try that. It's, it's better than pulled pork. It's not meat. It's okay. what's left of the pig and it's all grounded up and it's put over rice It's amazing. And it's only served in South Carolina. Brad Crawford.
0: I think I could ask you anything at any time. You are the modern day Google, the ask Jeeves, the duck, duck, go anything. That is a search engine in 2023. And it doesn't even come with the cookies that we have to accept. I hope that the wife and the children are doing well. You're a madman. And what people don't know, you're a better dad and husband than you are a writer and A personality, sir. I appreciate you. We'll catch up soon, dude.
1: Sounds good, man.